Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No Oh man, he had it coming. I knew this was gonna happen. He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful. I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, Book of James, you're right on the ball. And we're going to start off with chapter 1, verses 2-3. That's right, whoever said that, 2-3 uh, is where we're at. Believe it or not, I was peeking ahead this week, man, uh, in my notes and uh, doing some prep work for verse 4. I know, it was just pretty profound. Not quite there yet, we need to finish up our little detour, which I think is a profitable one. Taking a look at some great reasons why God will allow uh, some challenges to come our way. Let's take a look. James chapter 1, when you get there, say move. We got one move. Anybody else? Man, that swamp chicken got you guys bad, didn't it? I tell you what, it just really got in your intestines. All right, let's take a little move. Okay, that's right. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 3. Here's what he says. He says, now consider it what? Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of what? Many kinds is a key word. Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Now, again, as we saw before, let me expand the Greek for you. It says, be constantly rejoicing, literally, Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surround you, knowing experientially that the approving of your faith, that faith having been put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test, has been approved. And this approving process produces a patience which bears up and does not lose heart under courage or trials. Anybody like to have that? And that's what he's talking about when it comes to perseverance. So far, we've already seen in our book of James study, guys, uh, that uh, James is writing this test to the early church that's finally gone out there. Why? As an acid test. Okay, an acid test for true Christians versus fake Christians, true Christianity versus fake Christianity, the real one and only gospel versus the fake one. Why? Because Satan is evil and he has an evil plan. Uh, he didn't stop Jesus going to the cross, right? He didn't stop him rising again from the grave. He didn't stop him from fulfilling Genesis 3.15, the great promise, one day God's going to make it right. One day, the, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ, the virgin birth, is going to crush the head of the serpent. Satan lost. But that doesn't mean he gives up. He moved to plan B, and he's trying to now pollute the church 
with a bunch of fake Christians, okay? And so James writes this uh, to thwart that, if you will, the evil intentions under the uh, uh, power and inspiration of the Holy Spirit to thwart that off. Because the last thing that God wants when his church finally gets out there and is a witness to the lost is to be uh, 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 giving them a false impression of Jesus and a false gospel, okay? We saw his first test, of course, uh, was the issue of trials. And the aspect of trials is, do you have joy in your trials? Why? Because we're followers of Christ. We're Christians, Christians. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. So is that, not to say that we always have it, not to say that we're perfect at it, because as we saw, it's a growing process, a baby to adulthood, to maturity, okay? But is over time as a Christian, are you starting to experience more joy in, even in the hard times? Okay, that's the issue, okay? And as we saw there, that is an acid test, okay? And he says, well, how can we do that? Well, he says, because first of all, you need to realize that your trials are gonna come in many different ways, poiki loss, okay? And just as God has many different trials, custom tailored for you and I coming our way, he's got various, many good reasons why he allows them for his children, Romans 8, 28. He gives us the first one he saw was the issue of perseverance, okay? As we just saw, but that's the tip of the iceberg. He says, what you need to realize, you have to consider, you have to think forward, you have to sit there and realize and know, gnosko, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that it isn't just uh, a perseverance, that there's some, I, I may not see it now, it may not make sense now, the pain may not have gone away now, but I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, gnosko, that there's something fantastic, something wonderful that God is doing in the midst of my trial. Perseverance is one of them, but so far we've seen there's a bunch more than just that. To expose our sin nature, to keep us from being spiritually lazy, to cause us to be a blessing to other people, to teach us that God is God and we are not, to make us more like Jesus, to keep us from wasting our lives, to make us more humble, more joyful, more loving, to produce a powerful testimony, to produce a powerful character, and to get you steered in a new direction. Now, if that's all there was, isn't that enough to keep a smile on our face? I mean, that's some serious, awesome, great stuff, right? Every single one of those as well as perseverance, but there's more. Uh, the 13th reason, okay, uh, 14, is to actually get us to appreciate fellowship. Turn to somebody and say, I need you, man. Okay, to appreciate fellowship. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's take a look here. Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And uh, let's take a look. And the context here is uh, the word of encouragement from the writer of Hebrews. And what he wants us to understand is some things that we need to do considering the context of the last days as the day is approaching, the day of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, is Jesus coming back? All right, so how should we conduct ourselves? What do we need to do? He gives us three things here that we need to pay attention to, okay? Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, and it says this. He says, verse 23, he says, now, first of all, let us, Hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, right? What's our hope? Jesus. That's right, Jesus is always a safe answer. Okay, Jesus, yeah, of course, that he saves us. He rescues us from God's wrath. We're going to heaven. We've been forgiven. Okay, the hope that we profess, listen, why? Because what's he say there? He says, listen, he says, for he who promised is what? Faithful, okay? Now, number two, and also let us consider how we may what? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not only that, let us, number three, not give up meeting together, uh-oh, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us what? Meet together so we can what? Encourage one another and all the more as you what? What's the context? What pulls it all together? All the more as you 
see the day approaching. So what we got is some things. Number one, don't give up your hope in Jesus Christ. Things are going to get worse in this world. Have you noticed? Okay, the Bible told us about it. Don't give up your hope. Jesus is faithful. Okay, number one. Number two, we need to, when we uh, come together, we need to be encouraging uh, one another, right? That's, that's the goal, to be mutually edified. And if that's going to happen, what do we got to not do? Don't get tricked into not meeting together. Okay, is what he's talking about here. Uh, the, the, one of the biggest dangers, and I really think this is in the last days, and this is what's getting a challenge, especially when we're dealing with the time frame that we're in, and that is with the apostasy. I get phone calls, emails virtually every single week from Christians all over the place. I'm not saying this to my horn or anything, but to let you know that through the, the media ministry, we get like an inside uh, peek at what's really going on in the church across America and around the world. And I... I it, it, almost every week, I get, it's the same thing. Pastor Billy, Pastor Billy, uh, I can't find a healthy church. I'm starving to death out here. Uh, there's no food. There's no nothing. And so it, it's not just around here. It's, it's all over the world. So in, in one aspect, know that you're not alone. Okay? And so it's going to be more of a challenge to find that healthy place. Okay? But there are still currently uh, uh, places out there, preachers who will preach the whole counsel of God, not just the fluff and not just half of the scripture, not just the fun stuff and the nice stuff, but all of the scripture, even the stuff that gives you a spanking, stay away from sin and hell and God's wrath, the whole of scripture as we're supposed to. Okay, but it's not easy nowadays. And my, my, my basic, uh, I'm getting kind of blunt nowadays, I guess. And I say, you got to be prepared to do two things then. You need to be able to drive or you need to move because there still are places out there that you uh, can't. And you know why Christians don't? Because of convenience is what I've learned. Convenience. Well, I can't. Well, if I do that, then I'll have to, you know, i got to do, what? Who comes first? Listen, we, long gone are the days when we could just go five minutes down the road and, well, we'll try out this other healthy church. Are you kidding me? Those days are gone. And can I tell you something? It's going to get worse. It's going to get even harder to find a place. Because good churches are being attacked and from within, from without, and they're even taking them down while everybody else is going into the apostasy. So you need to be prepared to drive. I remember one time when Brandy and I, uh, we were uh, dating, I, I started going into a, a church uh, in Cool, California. And uh, I lived in a town called Elk Grove. That was an hour and a half away. One, I drove an hour and a half one way. Why? Because that preacher preached it, man. He was black and white. It was just the way it was. He was, it was awesome. And oftentimes you, were in the, you weren't just sitting there going, hey, hey, hey. you were squirming in the seats, man. But that's what we needed. That's what we needed to grow. And we appreciate that. That was worth an hour and a half drive one way because it got the truth. The whole truth and nothing but the truth, okay, is what we got there. Uh, and, 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 so, but, and so people say, well, I, I, that's 20 minutes away. Don't you understand the days that we're in? It's not going to come easy, okay? And, and then other people, well, I don't have anything in my area. Literally, I don't have, then move. Move. Just move. Well, I don't, well, I have to, move. Who comes first? Do you understand the danger that's going on here? We need each other as the church. And this is what he's saying. Listen, if you get it tricked, whatever the rationale is, it's not convenient, it's too far, it costs too much, or I might have to sacrifice this or do that. Even though it's right before me, it's, it's reasonable to attain, I'm not going to do it. He says, you're going to get tricked, okay? And you're going to get tricked into missing out on a blessing how a healthy church is supposed to be. I will make that disclaimer. That when we fellowship together, we are to be a fantastic source. What did he say the word was in there? Encouragement. Okay, how many guys have heard this one? When people say they'll, 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 instead of like driving further than five minutes or being prepared to sacrifice, you might have to move. 
okay? They'll say this. They'll, well, it makes it sound real spiritual. Well, you know, I don't need to, I don't need to go to church services to be a Christian. I can worship God in nature. You ever heard that thing? Really? For God so loved the world that he went through and died on the cross, Jesus Christ, so that we could sit around and uh, commune with squirrels. I don't see that in the Bible. Do you guys see that in the Bible? I don't see it. It's not my Bible anyway. Excuse me? So do you understand what the word church is? Church is the Greek word ekklesia, okay, which is a plural term. The very essence of the word of who we are. Church is plural, not singular. You don't worship God alone. We are, it's ecclesia. It means a group of called out ones. We're called out of this world, called to fellowship together as his body, and that when we gather together in his name, we benefit each other. We encourage one another. And I'm sorry that I don't think it's going to be to your spiritual well-being to try to seek encouragement from a squirrel. They'll throw nuts at you and you get bruises on your head. You know, it just hurts. I don't know. Have you, anybody tried it? Please, good. My, really? Seriously? Yeah, it doesn't work, does it? Please say no. Okay, thank you. It works well, my analogy. All right, so, uh, but no, it doesn't work that way, okay? It's, listen, when we get saved, we all know that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, right? And he, why is he there? Number one is our deposit, our guarantee that we're going to get to heaven. Praise God, amen? It's God's engagement ring, our bone in the Greek. Number two, he gives each Christian what? Gifts to serve the squirrels with. No, to serve what? To serve him. But we do it by serving. It's unto him, but who? Fellow Christians, right? So here's the point. How are you? You're going to miss out on this blessing, as, especially as we see the day uh, getting closer. It's going to get worse. We need each other. We can't get tricked in from being disconnected. We, we, because listen, if you never show up for church services, or you sit there and check, I don't think, you know, I can just worship God in nature. You're getting duped. Listen, it's twofold. Number one, how can somebody in a church setting, a ecclesia, a group of called out ones, how can they benefit from the gifts that God gave you to help them out with? Right? Flip it around. How can you benefit from the multitude of gifts from the other Christians around you who've been equipped to be a benefit to you when you need it? How can that interchange ever take place if you never come together? Especially as you see the day approaching. I don't know if you guys learned this or not, but have you realized that we are not going to get encouraged by this wicked world system? Right? And, and, and this wicked world system has gone into anti-Christian mode. Have you noticed that? So now they're not just uh, not distracting us, now are they, they're seeking to destroy us. Have you noticed that? So all the more as you see the day approaching, our only source of true beneficial encouragement is coming from who? The church. And so he says, as you see the day approaching, don't get tricked, don't get duped into somehow rationalizing, I don't need to go, I don't need somebody, or that's too far, it costs too much, it is, what? We, we talked about this before, but listen, the enemy is an opportunist, okay? And what he's gonna do, is just like the old, you ever watch those nature shows when the lions are chasing the antelope or whatever those things are, right? Which one did they eventually get? The weak ones and or the one who unfortunately, what they do with the herd? strayed right christian i'm telling you spiritually that's exactly what the enemy wants to do he wants you to stray he wants you to rationalize even make it sound spiritual like oh i'm so spiritual i can't hang out with those unspiritual people <laughs> what 
okay? And listen, there is no perfect church. If you find the perfect church, don't go there because you'll mess it up, right? And so will I, okay? But listen, they're, they're, and I'm not even saying sunrise is perfect, okay? I'm saying, but, but by and large, you know, at least I would say it's pretty healthy. You're going to get some meat once in a while, at least, right? It beats a sharp stick in the eye, okay? Okay, it's, I think it's worth the drive, okay? Uh, but listen, you have to be prepared. Don't get tricked into getting out of the fellowship, okay? Because you're going to mess up the opportunity for you to be encouraged, okay? And that's what the enemy does, folks. He uh, tries to get us to get out of, if you will, the herd, out of the church setting. So we'll miss out on the encouragement and so that other people will miss out on the blessing of us just even being there with the gifts that God's given us, okay? And that's what he does. So here's what God does. Here's, here's what we should consider. Here's what we think. Well, why, God? Why is it lately that I'm going through these trials? Why are things heating up? Well, it seems like everything's starting to go wrong. I mean, things were going well, and she's going down. Well, I, I, it, oh, man, it's hard to explain because usually when you go down this route, people say, you're being legalistic, and you're saying that I have to do No. But how is your attendance at fellowship with Christians? has nothing to do with uh, legalism, has everything to do in the context here of our spiritual well-being. And if you got tricked for whatever reason to get on this pattern where you're not on, on a regular uh, attendance and regularly plugged in, not just sitting there, but also giving back as a healthy church, right, with the gifts, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to get spiritually sucked dry. You're going to get sucked in this world. And God knows that. So guess what? He allows some challenges to come to get you motivated to seek uh, the, the fellowship and encouragement of the church again. Has anybody ever had that happen to him? I remember one time I was in between uh, internships and I was, when I was doing my uh, master's uh, work uh, and, you know, crazy busy, working full-time, going to school at night full-time, crazy schedule, you know, and it's easy to rationalize. I remember sitting there one time, it was just like, oh man, just exhausted. So uh, we decided, Brandy and I, or actually it was my doing, decided that, you know what, you know what we're gonna do today? We are going to check in at everybody's favorite church, the Church of uh, St. Mattress with Pastor I.B. Snoozen of the Bedside Sheets Assembly. Have you ever been there? Very comfortable. It's awesome. They even give you these clickers, and all you got to do is do the volume up and down. And you say, well, that's my church, sirs. Watching TV. Just having to flip it, and here's part of my rationale. Well, at least I'm watching Charles Stanley. You know what I'm saying? That's my church service for today. And nothing against him. I'm, I'm saying that. But that's not the same thing as fellowship. Okay? And so we're sitting there, and talk about God's sovereignty. He didn't let us stray very long. <laughs> You know what? You know what that whole sermon was about from Charles Stanley. Get in the church. What are you doing sitting at home? <laughs> Just like all right, all right, all right. So anyway, so that's what he did. And uh, because listen, God will allow hardships. He'll allow sometimes when we start getting sidetracked to spank us back into no, 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 no. Don't get tricked into losing your fire for me. This world is seducing you away from the only source of encouragement you have, and that's the church, a healthy church. One guy, this is my favorite analogy to illustrate this. He said there's a member of a certain church who previously had been attending services regularly, but he stopped going. And after a few weeks, the pastor decided to visit him. And it was a chilly evening, and the pastor found the man at home alone, sitting before a blazing fire. Well, guessing the reason for the pastor's visit, the man welcomed him, led him to a big cheer, chair near, next to the fireplace, and just simply weighed him. The pastor made himself comfortable, but he said nothing. I've got to put a disclaimer in there. That's a really hard thing to do for a pastor, but I digress. Uh, said nothing. In grave silence, he contemplated the play of the flames around the burning logs, and after some minutes, the pastor took the fire tongs and carefully picked up a, a, a brightly burning ember, and he placed it on the side of the hearth there all by itself. And then he sat back in his chair, still silent. 
Well, the host watched all this in quiet fascination. As uh, the one lone ember's flame diminished, there was a momentary glow, and then the fire was no more. Soon it was cold and dead as a doornail. Not a word had been spoken since the initial greeting. But just before the pastor was ready to leave, he picked up the cold, dead ember, placed it back in the middle of the fire, and immediately it began to glow once more with the light and warmth of the burning coals around it. And as the pastor reached the door to leave, still didn't say a word, his host said to the pastor, he said, thank you so much for your visit, pastor, and especially for your fiery sermon. I'll be back at church service next Sunday. You may not see it right away. You may not feel it right away. But when we get duped for whatever reason, I'm gonna, I don't need to be worship Jesus at a church. I, I can worship Jesus in nature. Or it's too far. It's whatever the rationale that we play through our brain. Yeah, when you first get out, it's, you're still kind of warm. You're still kind of on fire. But you keep it up the next week, and then the next week, and then the next week, and, then, and you're dead as a doornail wondering, listen, it feels like God's a million miles away. You ever feel like that? I like what one guy said. Hey, listen, if it ever feels like God's a million miles away, guess who moved? Not God. We did. Okay? And so God needs and allows some difficult circumstances to come our way to get us to appreciate the need for fellowship, okay, to keep us on fire for Jesus Christ. And when we consider that, we look forward to that. Maybe that's what he's doing this time. Hey, that's a, that, yeah, thank you. Thank you, God, for not letting me stray any further than getting spanked by Charles Stanley at the church of St. Matthias. You know what I'm saying? God's good. Let's take a look at another one uh, that we're dealing with. To get you to build, okay, build your faith okay open your bibles to first samuel 17 first samuel 17 let's take a look there if you find second samuel what do you do hang on first samuel 17 now this is the great account of course should be somewhat familiar with it with uh, david and goliath okay but uh, i'm gonna pull out maybe a couple nuggets here and uh, see what's going on uh first samuel 17 We'll take a look at what Goliath says in verse 8, and then we'll pop down and take a look at, the, uh, at the, uh, David's response. First uh, Samuel 17, uh, verse 8, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight together. Now on hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were what? Dismayed and terrified. Except for one guy. His name was David. Now flip over there to uh, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy. Pay attention to that. And he has been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. I struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he's going to be just like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So David, uh, Saul said to David, well, go and the Lord be with you, okay, is what he was talking about there. Now, the first clue that something pretty fantastic is going on, it's not just Goliath and how big he was, okay? The other issue that's going on here is how small David was, okay? 
Now, if you guys don't realize it, that most uh, uh, commentaries will believe that, why does it say boy? Because that's exactly who he is at that point, David. Some would say he's anywhere from 12 to 14 years old. The age of my daughter, Rebecca. All the armies, the grown adult men, seasoned warriors of Israel, chicken livers. Here comes a 12 to 14 year old boy. Oh yeah, he's going down, right? Now here's the whole point. How in the world could such a young boy, a 12, possibly 12 year old boy, take on uh, such a huge warrior? How did this guy get such huge faith? The other people were terrified. They were in complete dismay. How does this guy do it? Well, I think you look at the context and uh, David tells us the answer. He said, this giant, this Goliath, was no different from the lions and the bears, listen, that he had already fought in the past years. So even as a possibly 12-year-old boy, he's already been through some scrapes, okay? And so this tells us that David, listen, David built a strong faith, listen, because he went to Walmart and bought it. And these really cool packages that come with, you know, whatever. You got to watch for that hard plastic because that stuff will like tear you up. Even scissors hardly gets through that. You need to get one of those nifty things that they sell on the home shopping network and you put it around. And have you seen that? And it cuts it out. Yeah, whatever. I digress. Okay, no. Where did he get his faith? He says there he got faith uh, to face Goliath over the years of having to face other difficulties over the years. Right? He said, listen, uh, that the reason why he could handle this guy is because I've already had to go through that. Now, here's the kicker. Did you realize that God only did that and does that uh, with King David? He allowed him to go through other scrapes to prepare him for his biggest scrape yet. No, he does it to you and I today. Now, here's the problem that we experience. See, we all say we want to have strong faith. Oh, God, I just want to have faith. Faith to move mountains, faith to this and faith to that. God, make me into a faithful Christian. God, increase my faith. Help my unbelief. Faith, 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 faith. If I just had faith, I could do great things for you, GP. Well, right? We all want to say, we say that, right? Here's the problem. We don't want to, listen, pay the price to get one. Because what was the price that David had to face Goliath? He had to go in the past, and he had to face this, he had to face that, and they were serious. Anybody ever been attacked by a lion? Let's say he's 12 years old. Maybe it happened that year. 12-year-old taking on a lion, taking him out. I would assume some time has transgressed, and at some point, a bear came along, which means he was probably even younger. How about 10 years old? How about the age of my son, nine years old, took on a bear and whooped him? Now, any father at that point would go, what? It's my boy. What a guy, right? right? But this is what he did. He trusted in the Lord, and God took care of him, okay, is what's going on here. So guess what? Uh, you and I, we got the same choice to make. We could either run or hide or blame our problems on other people or, listen, here's the point. We could face them head on and start to build our faith. Have you noticed how that works out? God took you through this problem, Okay, and then you went through another problem and then over a period of time you say, wait a second. All right, here comes yet another problem. But you know what? I'm starting to see a track record here. Uh, God took care of this guy and he took care of that and he took care of me in this. Uh, The size doesn't matter. He's gonna take care of this as well. Now the problem is what we do is we don't look at those opportunities as opportunities to build our faith. And what we do is we miss out because we start to blame other people. Okay, 
Listen to this. This is a researchers uh, studied two young boys who were raised in the home of an alcoholic father. As young men, they each went their own way. Years later, uh, one had turned out to be just like his father, a hopeless alcoholic, but the other had turned out to be an upright citizen who never even touched a drop of liquor. So the first one was asked why he became an alcoholic, and the second one was asked why he became uh, somebody who completely subs- uh, uh, abstained an upright citizen. Well, oddly enough, they both gave the same identical answer in these words. What do you expect when you have a father like mine? Exact same trial, two radically different outcomes. Why? One chose to grow through it and become better. One chose to use it as an object of blame and excuse to not have to change. And can I tell you something, guys? Listen, that's what God is teaching us in every one of our trials. You have a choice to make. You can blame the devil. You can blame other people. You can blame this. You can blame that. You can blah, 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 blah. Or you could focus on the sovereignty of God, the hand of God, focus on his track record and begin to grow. You can either become, listen, become better or you can become bitter. Uh, You can can, uh, uh, grow or you can groan. You can whine or you can shine. And this is what David did. David was able to face years of difficulties by looking at God's track record. Listen, David made it through Goliath, not getting focused on the size of his problem, but on the size of his God. Have you ever, David, look at his life. I I, I wonder personally, I'm not gonna say thus saith the Lord, but I wonder personally if this is what helped to encourage David on the hugeness of God so that no matter what size or uh, the problem came his way, he wasn't daunted by it because David was a shepherd. Shepherds are out in the middle of nowhere. Have you noticed that? That's part of the lifestyle, right? And when you're out in the middle of nowhere, especially away from Las Vegas and all the lights, when you look up at the night sky, what do you see? Stars, tons of stars, right? And you imagine David out there strumming along on whatever instrument he was, you know, the birthplace with a lot of psalms, right? Uh, and, uh, and so he's out there, but what's he seeing? He's seeing, have you ever, have you ever been in a position, whether it's a planetary or just getting away from all the city lights and looking up, it, it, you're at an altitude to where you can literally see the whole Milky Way without even squinting? I mean, have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen the, the majesty of just looking up in the sky and it's just chock full of the stars? Have you ever done that camping, anything, anybody? Okay, what does that do? As a Christian, you begin to look at that and ponder that. It makes your mind go, whoa, God, you're awesome. Look at how huge this universe is. Look at all these stars. And it says you just spoke and flung them into existence. And the scripture says you know every one of them by name. I can't even count the things. And so then your mind goes, whoa, how big God is, how awesome he is. And then all of a sudden when you start thinking about the hugeness of God and how huge he is, your little problem on this little tiny planet is really teeny weeny. Goliath is an ant, right? I think that's part of why David was able to deal with it. There's, there's a character issue, God's character. Hey, listen, it, the, the issue is the same. God took care of me with the lion. He took care of me with the bear. He's going to take care of this guy. And oh, by the way, I don't care if he's 19 feet tall. God is way bigger, right? And he made a big boo-boo. He said bad things about God. And God's people, he's going down, okay? 
It's the same thing with you and I, guys. That oftentimes in our trials, God isn't, have you ever done it? Like sometimes you'll go through a trial and then it seems like maybe you'll get a couple months reprieve. Then here comes the next one. You get a little bit of a reprieve in there. You know what that? But have you ever noticed that sometimes your trials come like literally like rapid fire? You just made it through that one. You might've got a day. Bang, here comes the next one. Or literally they're starting to overlap on each other. Boom, boom, boom. Right? Man, okay. What, what God, what are you doing? Well, maybe he's giving you these little ones in quick succession. And as he, sure enough, you're, you're here, aren't you? He brought you through it. <laughs> he's still bringing you through it. Then he's preparing you for the big one that he knows is coming down the pike. But when and if you do face that point, now your faith is so built up strong because you saw God, God, you took care of us here. You took care of us there. You take, you, in fact, God, when I look back, there's, we've always been through some challenges, but you've always taken care of us. You've always lived up to your deal. You said if we just seek first your kingdom, your righteousness, all these things are going to be added unto us. What we're going to eat, what we're going to drink, what we're going to wear. He's got that. He, everyone here has got something to eat, something to drink, and praise God, something to wear. So he's lived up to his bargain, right? You just, that's what he did. So God, we've always made it. This is no different. It's just in a different package. Your faith is so built up having to go through all those lions and all those bears. Who cares about Goliath? Now, when you think about that and you consider that and you think forward, well, maybe that's what God's doing in this latest round of difficulties. Yeah, James, no, I get it now. Consider it constant rejoicing. This is, this is fantastic. And because I remember somewhere I did ask, please increase my faith. Yay. Okay, let me give you one more. Uh, to get us to return to him. And then we'll close for today. Return to him. Now, here's, a, here's an exciting book. Uh, Amos. Amos chapter 4, okay? Not the guy who's famous and made those cookies. This is a different guy. Uh, in case you're wondering, I know you're out there, okay? Let's take a look there. Amos, Hosea, Amos. Now, if it'll help, it's uh, page 684 in my Bible. And uh, Amos chapter 4. And um, I'll do a little theme song, give you some time to get there. Amos, chapter 4. Okay, we're there. Hey, praise God. All right, let's take a look at Verses 1 through 11. This is awesome. This, only God could do this. this listen to this. This is cool. Uh, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. What? You cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria. You who? Women? God's calling them cows. This is a rebuke. You women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drink. The sovereign Lord is sworn by his holiness. The time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks. The last of you with fish hooks. You will each go out through breaks in the wall and you will be cast uh, out towards Harmon, declares the Lord. How many guys would say that God's a little upset here? Not too pleased. Uh-huh. Continue on. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Your tithes every three years. Burn that leavened bread as thank offering and brag about your free will offerings. Boast about them, you Israelites, because that's what you love to do declares the sovereign Lord. So because of that behavior, listen to what he says. He said, I gave you empty stomachs in every city and lack of bread in every town. And yet you have what? Not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld rain from you when the harvest was still three months away. I sent rain on one town, but I withheld it from another. One field had rain, another had none and dried up. People staggered from town to town for water, but did not get enough to drink. Yet you have... Not return to me, 
declares the Lord. Many times I struck your gardens and your vineyards. I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your fig and olive trees. Yet you have what? Not returned to me, declares the Lord. I sent plagues among you as I did to Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and your captured horses. I filled your nostrils with the stench of your camps. Yet you have what? Not returned to me declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. You were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. And actually add this verse. Therefore, this is what I will do to you, Israel. And because I will do this to you, listen to this, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Wow. Is that intense or what? Now, this is an amazing passage here. Israel obviously was committing spiritual adultery. We never do that. Yeah, I digress. Okay, but before we get into that aspect of this passage here, real quick, um, uh, I don't know about you guys, I'm the youngest of four. I have a, 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 a two older sisters, older brother. That's why I'm the youngest of four, and for those hooked on math. And uh, so anyway, so, but my two older sisters, man, if there's anything I learned growing up, uh, there was three things you never did to your sisters, the older sisters, okay? Number one, don't ever touch their purse. You notice that? Don't ever, I don't care, nothing. And even with my wife today, she goes, can you get, I, I've been trained by my sisters. Don't touch that thing. She doesn't get, I'm, right. Number two, I learned very quickly, but I still did it and, and got laid hands on, but it was worth it. I felt the pain. Uh, don't ever embarrass your sisters when their boyfriends come over. <laughs> yeah, I just, I sat there as a little kid, man, just dreaming up ways to get them. I loved it. Yeah, anyway, so. But uh, anyway, but the third thing I learned is don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever, ever, ever call your sisters a cow, all right? Now, if you're going to call your sister uh, a woman, anything, any kind of an animal, which I don't recommend, period, but if you're going to say any kind of animal is going to come out of your mouth, you better make sure it's something graceful and slender. Make sure it's an antelope or something like that. Don't use the cow. You'll never win with the cow, okay? Now, here's my point in saying this. Did you see what went on in this text? God did call these women cows why i think he was trying to get their attention to realize the seriousness of their sin and you know it's just like you know sometimes as a parent when you talk to your kids hey would you you know come over here would you what it's nice at first right you're trying to you know reason with them just whatever it doesn't work and then sometimes even in discipline you start off with the smaller things first one but then then the behavior doesn't stop so what do you got you got to do something to get their attention and so god is calling these women out right off the bat he says hey listen ladies guess what yeah you're israel you're my chosen people but can i tell you something you're acting right now like a bunch of fat cows now, how many think that when the prophet, Amos, said that, first of all, can you imagine being Amos having to say this in front of the people? Not a popular message, but you had to do it. That's why you find out when God, when you look to the major prophets, minor prophets, these guys had a harsh, stinging message for God's people that were going south. And because God loved them, he sent faithful men uh, to preach the truth, to get them back to him. That's one of the contexts that's going on here. But you also see the, the side effect of that uh, is that they tried to kill him. In fact, they killed several of them. In fact, Jesus said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he says, rejoice greatly. Uh, he says, when people uh, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you, because in the same way they persecuted the prophets of old. Sometimes God wants you to preach a message that people don't want to hear, but you got to preach it. 
Because it's out of love that God's trying to get their attention. And so God says, listen, ladies, you're breaking my heart. I want this beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with my people, Israel. You're out there committing, you're selling yourself out in spiritual adultery. You're acting like a bunch of fat cows. I got your attention now? Got your attention? Now, now I got your attention. Let me tell you what I've been doing I'm sorry I had to go to that point to get your attention, but there's something that's been going, have you noticed that you've been without some things lately? Have you noticed that the crops ain't doing so hot? Have you noticed that uh, these things ain't working out that well? Have you noticed that? He said, it's because I'm trying to get you to return to me. And, and I put this stumbling block up to get you away from the world, but you break through the fence and you still do it. You do not return to me. I'm allowing these things to happen so that you can return to me. But what was the constant sad theme? And yet you would not, you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Sometimes God will do that uh, to you and I, okay? Because he sees that we're starting to go down that route to commit spiritual adultery. We say, oh, I love Jesus. He's so awesome. And I just really appreciate this loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with him. But sometimes we treat it just like they did. We just go through the motions. That's what they were doing. Oh yeah, bring your tithes and offerings. You don't care. You're just doing this to boast other people. Look at me, you're like, Ugh. you're not doing this for me, God says. You're just going through the motions. You turn, you've turned this beautiful, loving, intimate relationship with me into a dry, stale, boring, man-made religion and you're living for this world. I see the whole thing. You're acting like cows, got your attention. And this is why I'm allowing this. So let's do two things. Let's break it down for us today to bring it home, okay? Listen, I'm going to bring it home. Uh, uh, ladies, if all you care about, and listen to the context here, I'm going to break it down for you. If all you care about in life as a Christian is a big fancy house, then God would say, you're acting like a cow. Now again, I didn't say that. He did. If all you care about is a big giant wardrobe, tons of jewelry, that's the other thing that was going on here in this context, you're acting like a cow. If all you care about ladies as a Christian is having 80 pair of shoes while the poor have nothing, you're acting like a cow. God says, knock it off. Knock it off. I want a relationship with you. And I want that relationship to reflect in the people around you. It's not about you. Stop acting like a cow. Now listen, uh, men, we do the same thing too. Men, if all you care about in life uh, as a Christian is a big fancy truck or a hot rod car, then, well, I gotta switch up the term. Because saying a guy with a cow, that doesn't really sting us. You know what I'm saying? Because we like, we eat them. We rope them. We ride them. Right? So, you know, cows, you can't do it. So I think I, I, in, in faithfulness to the context, man, I think I came up with a stinging rebuke, okay, that works for us. Man, if all you care about in life is a big fancy truck or a hot rod car, God would say, you're acting like a pink fluffy girly squirrel. Right? It's kind of unmanly, right? If, if all you care about is a football game and you go nuts over sports instead of God, if all you care about is a big entertainment center or the latest computer gadgetries instead of God, you're acting like a pink, fluffy, girly squirrel, you knock it off. You're doing the same thing. You're committing spiritual adultery. And you're giving a bad impression to the lost. One more thing. I, I, I retranslated this in the vernacular for today. Amos chapter 4, verse 6 through 11. Listen to this. I gave you an empty cupboard, Christian, and a lack of food in every church, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld jobs from you when the mortgage payment was still due. I, I allowed one person to keep their job, but I withheld it from another. 
One family I allowed to keep their job, but another I allowed them to go bankrupt. People lined up for government assistance, but it was never enough. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Many times I struck your checkbooks and your bank accounts, and I struck them with blight and mildew. Locusts devoured your economy, yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. Some of you became ill, and some of you even died. Yet you have not returned to me, declares the Lord. What has God got to do to get our attention? Spiritual adultery is one of the fastest ways to kill your walk with Jesus Christ. You lose your fire, you lose your zeal, you get sucked into this wicked world system, and boy, if it ever, that is really when it feels like God's a million miles away. And you're not doing anything for Jesus Christ. That's a serious danger. So praise God that God doesn't leave us alone, and he'll do what it takes to get our attention, amen? Okay, Johnny Erickson that she says this. She says, do we find repulsive a God who gives the nod to our tragedies? Think about the alternative. Imagine a God who didn't deliberately permit the smallest details of our particular sorrows. What if your trials were not screened by any divine plan? What if God insisted on a hands-off policy towards the tragedies swimming our way? Think of what this would mean. That first, the world would be worse, much worse, absolutely intolerable for everyone every second. Try to conceive of Lucifer completely unrestrained. Left to his own, the devil would make Job's of us all. The Third Reich would have lasted forever. Your head would be mounted on Satan's wall above his fireplace. Human sacrifice would entertain basketball crowds at halftime. Child molesting techniques would be taught at community colleges. Listen, the only reason why things aren't worse is because God curbs evil. Satan had to ask to sift you like wheat, Jesus told Peter. And we can be certain that the old snake didn't check in with God out of politeness. He had to get permission, which means that even Satan operates under God's restraints. And she says this, evil can only raise its head where God deliberately backs away. Listen, but always for reasons that are specific, wise, and good, but often hidden during this present life. And she says this, she says, if God didn't control evil, the result would be evil uncontrolled. God permits what he hates to achieve what he loves. And what he loves is what he died on the cross for us, gave his son, Jesus died on the cross for us. What he loves is now that we can have that beautiful, loving, daily, awesome walk with him before we even get to heaven. And so if he has to allow a few difficulties to come along our way, some hardships, some things that God hates, to protect you and I from being continually seduced and destroyed and committing spiritual adultery, listening to the pied pipers of this wicked world system, stealing our hearts away from God, then praise God for those hardships that keeps us on the straight and narrow and that we can continue enjoying the fruit of that beautiful, intimate, loving walk with God, love Peace, patience, joy, kindness, etc. In great abundance. He's maintaining that for us. Isn't that awesome? And again, as James says, listen. Your trials are going to come poikilos. Many, all different ways. Here's the good news though. God is going to have many different good, awesome reasons. Perseverance is one of them. But maybe sometimes it's to get us to return to him because he sees that what maybe we don't want to admit. Little by little. Slowly but surely, we've been seduced 
into going away from him. And God loves us enough not to leave us there. He'll spank us with difficulties to get us back on track. That makes you joyful. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full 
the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. Uh, they certainly don't deserve it. And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime. Okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.